All right, let's look at our scripture that can be found on the screen or on the bulletin. This is John 15, 9 through 17. Jesus has been sharing about the fact that he is the vine and we are the branches, and he continues on in this passage. Hear the word of the Lord. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that this that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Well, I recently, uh, my wife and I celebrated our 28th year anniversary. Uh, And uh, that was a couple of months ago. And as I'm looking back, I didn't, do anything significant uh, for our 28th year anniversary. I mean, isn't 28 years a milestone, you know, like platinum or something like that? And and so I figured I need to do something uh, for our anniversary. But, you know, giving her a diamond, that's so passe. That's so (laughs) boring. And so I did a little search on the internet for what are the most exceedingly rare jewels that are available because I want to give her the best. And so I've come up with a couple of choices and I need your help here. This is the the first thing I'm thinking here. This is the number three rarest uh, jewel out there. This is called the Cashmere Sapphire. I think it's up on your screen. Sells for $100,000 a carat. Uh, It is sourced from the mines in the Himalayan mountains. And they are some of the most valuable and actually most often stolen minerals in the world because of their instantly recognizable value. They have this beautiful, beautiful, deep blue hue. Very, very rare. But not as rare as this one. Uh, This is a red diamond. Red diamonds sell for a million dollars a carat. No one exactly knows why they're red, what the process is behind why they become red, but they're found in the Argyle diamond mines of Kimberley in Western Australia. And nearly every red diamond sourced has been less than a carat in size, so owning an entire carat is practically unheard of. But this would be a nice thing to give my wife. She certainly is worthy of it. Uh, How about this, the number one rarest a jewel in the world. This is called jadeite. Jadeite sells for $3 million a carat. And it's the deep green color that drives the rarity of this precious stone. Jadeite can only be sourced from regions that once were buried, encased in metamorphic rock and subject to incredible pressures of erosion. The largest known source of jadeite is located in Burma. So I have these three choices, none of which I can afford. So I guess the thing that I need to give her, that I have to give, 
is probably the most important thing, the rarest thing in the world, and that is love. When you think about it, love is the rarest and most precious resource in the world. We all need it. We all seek it. It's what fills and satisfies our heart. But in this world, it's hard to find enough love in quantities and purity that can satisfy us. Proverbs 19.22 says, what a man desires is unfailing love. And it was Mother Teresa who said that the most terrible poverty in the world is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. But what we see in this passage is Jesus telling us that he has come to bring us the most precious love, the love of God, and an inexhaustible supply of love that will satisfy our hearts. So much so that we can take Jesus' love and bring it and spread it in the world. So the question we have before us today is simply this. Will we embrace and respond to the love that Jesus has for us? Or will we turn away and embrace another love? We're going to look at three specific things. Number one, we're going to look at the love that Jesus has for us. Number two, we're going to answer the question, how do we abide in this love of Jesus? And then finally, we're going to examine how we take his love into the world. So let's look at our first point, the love that Jesus has for us. Jesus says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus, remember uh, last passage in, in John 15, he said to abide in me that I am the vine and you are the branches. And now he's saying to abide in my love. This passage, verse 9 through 17, in some ways is an unpacking of that metaphor of the vine and the branches. And so what Jesus is saying is to abide in Jesus is to abide in his love. That he's talking about a relationship that we are to have with Jesus that is intimate, that it is personal. And Jesus describes the nature of this love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In other words, if we want to understand the love that Jesus has for us, we first has to under, have to understand the love that the Father has for Jesus because it's of the same quality, if you will. And what do we see when we look at this love between the Father and the Son? We see, first of all, that it's an eternal love. In John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So before there was anything, before God had created anything, there was the Father and there was the Son. And there was this relationship of deep abiding love between them. It's what characterizes the relationship between the Father and the Son. Now we have to ask the question, why did God the Father love Jesus from the beginning? And here's how I would answer that. By looking at who Jesus is. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
Colossians 2.9 says, For in Jesus the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. And Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, Jesus is the picture of God in all of his fullness, in flesh form. God loves Jesus for who he is. He loves the Son and delights in the Son and takes pleasure in the Son because the Son is God himself. And when Jesus, God, the Father, sees Jesus, he sees himself. Now, we might ask the question, isn't this a little bit narcissistic? I mean, if any of us found our first and deepest joy by looking at ourselves in a mirror, wouldn't we be vain and conceited and smug and selfish? Yes, we would. Because we were created to love and contemplate and worship something infinitely nobler and better than ourselves to enjoy and worship God. Anything less than that would be idolatry. God is the most glorious of beings, and so not to love him with all of our heart and all of our delight is an insult to God. But you see, my friends, the same is true for God. How shall God not insult what is infinitely beautiful and glorious? How shall God not commit adultery, excuse me, idolatry. How shall God not commit idolatry? The chief end of man, we know, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, what is the chief end of God? To glorify himself and to enjoy him forever. You see, God must love and delight in his own beauty and perfection above all things. For us to do this in front of a mirror is the essence of vanity. But for God to do it in front of his son is the essence of righteousness. Jesus is beautiful and perfect and the supreme object of love and worthy of the supreme love of God. And so God has loved his son, the image of his own glory, with infinite and perfect energy from all eternity. It's the highest love that God the Father has. So God loves Jesus for who he is, but he also loves Jesus for what he does. Remember when Jesus was baptized, uh, the spirit came down descending in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son with whom I love and with you I am well pleased. There are multiple places in the scripture where God the Father declares his love for the Son and his pleasure in the Son. Matthew 12, 18 says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one in whom I delight. God the Father is never disappointed in Jesus. He takes great pleasure in his Son because his Son always does what is right. And so what Jesus is saying is, as the Father loves me with this deep, abiding, perfect, full love, so I love you for who you are and what you do. He delights in us and he believes us worthy of his love. And we have to ask the question, how can that be? 
I mean, it makes perfect sense that God would love Jesus in this way, that Jesus is perfect. Jesus does always do what is right. But we most certainly are not. See, my friends, this is what the gospel is all about. This is why Jesus came. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it's Jesus who makes us worthy. It's Jesus who makes us beautiful. It's Jesus who makes us lovable. And the reason he does that is because he loves us. And so the love that Jesus has for us is true, unconditional love. No one has ever, ever loved you like Jesus loves you. The world's love is a conditional love. It's based on what you do or how you look or what you have. But Jesus loves us in our worst, and his love makes us our best. Jesus has come to bring the love of God that we so desperately need. And what we are looking for is unconditional love. So Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. Jesus wants us to live in that love, to rest in it, to experience it. By giving this command to abide in his love, what he's saying is we can choose where we go to get love. We can abide in his love or we can go somewhere else to try to receive it. See, all the world, all the love that Jesus has for us is no good if you are unwilling to receive it and unwilling to trust it. So the question that I have for you today is, will you receive Jesus' love? I was talking to someone recently who was a believer, and they were honest with me, and they were saying, you know, the truth of the matter is I don't really feel or experience Jesus' love. Jesus' love, the reason they weren't experiencing is because Jesus' love is conditioned on who I am. But they believe that it is conditioned on what he's done, for that's the way the world works. And so, really, as we talk more about this, I saw that they were afraid to trust Jesus' love for who they are. See, many of us hide the ugly part of ourselves, the reality, the, the sinful desires of our heart, the darkness of our heart, the brokenness of our lives, and we only seek to present to Jesus and to the Father our best. Because we believe if God really knew who I was and what I've done and how I think, that he would not love me. And so the reality is we never let Jesus love all of us unconditionally. But my friends, you see, we can never know the fullness of Jesus' love, we can never really be forgiven until we bring all of ourselves to him that we may experience his love in fullness. I once read a Russian folktale of a guy named Nasrudin. 
and he was approaching the door of his house one night when he suddenly realized he had lost his key. He tried to look around for it, but the night was so dark he could hardly see the ground, so he moved back toward a street lamp. And he got down and began a meticulous examination of the area. A friend came by and noticed him and asked what he's doing, and Nasrudin said, I lost my key and I'm looking for it. So his friend, too, got down on his knees and began to search. And after a while, the friend asked, do you remember where you might have lost the key? Certainly, answered Nasrudin, I lost it in my house. Then why are we looking for it out here? Because, answered Nasrudin, the light is so much better here. See, we're much more like Nasrudin than we'd like to acknowledge. We search for a missing spiritual key, but we tend to look for it outside of ourselves, where it seems easiest to reach. But the key is inside. It's in the dark. See, it's only when we allow God access to the darkest parts of our soul, our sinful hearts, our prideful spirit, our fears and our failures, that we can see how deeply we are loved by Jesus in our depths, in our complexity, in our totality, in our sinfulness. Only then can we rest in his love. So Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus delights in you. He's crazy about you. All of you. And his redemption and his holiness is big enough for all of you. So dare to embrace the love of Jesus. His love is big enough to fill all of your heart. You don't need to chase after other loves. You can bring all of yourself to Jesus and let him love all of you. So open your heart and give him access. Choose to seek the love of Christ. Choose to stop being satisfied with anything less. Well, this brings me to my second point. How do we abide in his love? Verse 10 answers, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this verse seems to say, if you obey me, then I will love you. But that's not what it's saying at all. Remember, he just said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In the Greek, that's in the aorist tense. It means something that has already been done. In other words, Jesus' love is already there for us. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to abide and to live in the love that I have for you. And if you keep my commands, you will abide in and experience this love that I have for you. Now, why does he say that? Why do we need to keep his commandments to abide in his love? Well, we need to understand what God's commandments are in the first place. God's commands are expressions of love for his children. They're not random. God didn't just sort of pick some do this, don't do this. God's commands are designed 
to guide you to life's very best. Because God wants the best for you. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy. What does the Lord God ask of you but to fear the Lord by walking in all his ways? To love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord that I am giving you this day for your own good. In other words, our obedience is a response to God's love. It's trusting that Jesus loves us and knows what is best for us. See, when we disobey, we're choosing to turn away from his love and to seek love in some other place. I think a good example of this is in the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story of a son who worked in his father's house, and his father we see is a gracious, kind, loving man. But this son chafed under the rule of his father. He didn't want to be obedient to the father, and so he said, give me my inheritance. And he, what did he do? He left his father's house and his commands in order to be obedient to something else. See, in disobeying his father, he sought love and pleasure and prostitutes and wine and parties. Now, let me ask you a question. Even while the son went off and was partying and living it up, did the father ever stop loving the son? No. But was the son experiencing and abiding in the father's love? No. For how can he experience the father's love while seeking it in another place? See, when we disobey Jesus, here's what we're doing. We're saying that I don't trust that your love is enough. I have to go somewhere else to seek love somewhere else whether the love of the world or the love of another person or the love of an idol. See, what I obey is what I'm looking to for love. And we cannot experience Jesus' love when we're looking in another place for it. Now, we see here that Jesus says, just as I have obeyed my Father and remain or abide in his love, See, Jesus is speaking from experience. We need to remember that when Jesus was born, he was born fully human, just like you and I. And as such, he had to find his own identity and who he was, just like we do. But Jesus' identity, he found, was defined by his relationship to his father. This was who he was. His whole life flowed out of his relationship with his father. And so from even as early as age 12, we see him in the temple saying, didn't you know, parents, where I would be? I'd be in my father's house. Jesus, just like us, experienced the temptation to turn away from the father's love. Remember in the desert? When he was hungry and Satan came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
In other words, don't trust that God has your best interest and cares for you. You need to take matters in your own hand. But Jesus never doubted the love of the Father. He was one with his Father in love. And doing his Father's will grew out of his relationship of love that he had with God. Jesus says to us in verse 11, These things that I have spoken to you, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, Jesus is saying, what are these things? These things are the love that he has for us, the fact that he's in us, and how we too can abide in and experience the love of God the way he has experienced it. Say, so he's, he's saying that all of the joy that I have experienced in my life, I have come to you to bring you this truth that you may also have the joy of knowing what it means to abide in the love of God and to delight in doing the will of the Father. See, that's why he came. The joy of receiving Jesus' love and resting in it and responding to it is what life is all about. I remember hearing the story of a woman who married a man. And this man was a very cruel man. He was a traveling salesman, and so he would leave the house on Monday and come back on Friday. But before he left, he would leave this long list of things that the wife needed to do. And when he would come back, he would take the list and he would go down and he would look at all of the things that the wife was supposed to do and critique and criticize the things that she had not done well. And this woman f lived in, in fear and shame and sorrow of her husband. Well, her husband died and her new husband uh, and she married another man. But this man was different than the first husband. While the first husband was cruel and merciless, this man was kind and loving and gracious. Now, he too was a traveling salesman, and he would be gone during the week. But before he would leave, he would kiss his wife. He would speak a blessing over her. And he never, ever gave her a list of things to do. And so it was so interesting to her after a couple years passed when as she looked at her life, she realized that she was doing the same things during the week that she had been doing for the first husband. But she was doing them out of joy and love and not out of fear because she knew the heart of her second husband. You see, God wants us to respond to Jesus' love with our life, to obey him, to trust him, out of love. That's what obedience is. It's saying, I trust you, and I trust your love. And Jesus not only gives us his commands, he gives us the power to obey them. And so will you reorient your life 
to God's commands? Will you say your love, Jesus, is better than life? And so I respond in trust and faith and obedience. For such a love as Jesus calls for a response, does it not? As we obey and submit to Jesus' commands, we will abide in and experience the love that he already has for us. And we will experience the joy that Jesus says that he has for us. This brings me to my final point. How do we take Jesus' love into the world? Look in verse 12 where Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, Jesus is really explaining to us what it means to obey his commands. All of Jesus' commands can be boiled down into two. Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Why is Jesus stressing the second part of the command to love one another and not the first? The reason is that as we love one another for Jesus' sake, it's like loving Jesus himself. Remember in Matthew 25 when Jesus praises his believers and welcomes them into the kingdom and says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. And they say, When did we do these things for you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. See, Jesus has come to usher in a kingdom of love. First in us and through us to the world. He's saying, take my love. Trust that there is enough of it and pour it into those around you. And your life will become like a river of love, being continuously filled by Jesus. And so how do we do this? It starts with those who are closest to us, right? Are you married? Do you have children? Have you experienced the love of Jesus? By faith, take his love and pour it into their lives. And you will discover the abiding love of Christ that continues. Jesus wants us to love one another in the church like this. Look around you. We're a family. Is there someone who's lonely or discouraged or needs help? Get close to one another so we can know the issues and the challenges that we face. And finally, he wants us to take this love into the world, to the people that you work with, those you go to the gym with, those who live across the street from you. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit will last. See, many of us say, I don't know how to share Christ. The answer is yes, you do. Love with the love of Christ. Because love always brings a response. 
I close with this thought that we have a mission, a mission of love. All Christians have a superpower. Did you know that? It's not flying high in the sky. It's not x-ray vision. It's love. An inexhaustible supply. So go out and love the world. For that's how we change it. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you have loved us with the same kind of love that your Father loved you. God, help us to bring all of ourselves to you. The dark places, the lonely places, the questioning places, that you may show us that you love us for all of who we really are, not who we pretend to be. And God, help us to respond to your love in obedience, by faith. And we will abide in your love, and you will continue to give us what we need, that we may pour it out into the world around us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.